Well, good morning. Hey, before we jump into uh, the message today, I want to just reiterate, uh, Halloween is right around the corner. And sometimes, you know, churches can get kind of confused or followers of Christ can get confused. What we do with Halloween is we try to find, just like with many other holidays and opportunities, opportunities to reach our community for Jesus one person at a time. I'll give you an example. Last year we did Trunk or Treat and we had hundreds of people who'd never been to our campus before. Out of that, 84 people actually filled out information for us to follow up on. Dozens of those came and many people came to Christ because of that. Okay, that's what it's about, right? That's what we want to celebrate. That's why we do something like this. So Trunk or Treat's coming, and all of us have an opportunity to be a part of it at different levels. Like you heard, maybe for some of you, like, I want to put a trunk together. And that could be fun for a life group to do that or for a family to do that. Another way, obviously, is to invite friends, just to get the word out uh, around, you know, your sphere of influence. And the third way is bring candy. Just bring candy. You're like, okay, everybody can participate in one way, shape, or another. And I want to remind you, this is on October 30th, not the 31st. That's different for us this year because on the 31st, we want to be the Christians that actually greet people at our door when they come on the 31st. We don't want our doors to be dark. We actually want an opportunity to relationally engage with our neighbors, coworkers, friends in our neighborhood. And like uh, I always encourage you, uh, give out the big size candy bars. Become known as that. Uh, and, and there's these invites that you can grab, you know, on the way out to attach them, you know, uh, to this as well. And uh, so hand that out to folks, you know, um, as, they're, as they're going around. Just don't give out suckers. I've never met a kid who's like, oh, good, I got a dum-dum, you know. So don't do that. Don't be the dum-dum, you know, in the neighborhood. And so give out good candy, connect with people, have that be relational opportunities, again, so that we can reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Second thing I want to make sure I mention to you is an update on our lobby expansion. And so uh, Drew was nice, and I mean, David was nice enough to put together the following video so you can kind of see that this is how it's going to look mostly when it's done. So it's not uh, exact, but it's, uh, it's close enough. So you can kind of see how things are kind of laid out. And again, the vision of us doing this again, why are we expanding lobby? Because we want more relational opportunities for people to hang out and connect before, after service, and throughout the entire week. This building is used all week long, and we're running out of room on a regular basis for groups or people to gather. And so by expanding the lobby, is gonna allow it to do it. So you can see there's gonna be a couple roll-up doors. So during the four months out of the year where it is nice to be outside, we can actually go outside and have that connection, you know, that uh, can take place. Because right now, it feels like we're herding cattle. You know, you kind of on the way in, and it's really squished on the way out. So that's why, you know, we decided, you know, to do this. And so I just want to let you know that it's hopefully going to be done. December 16th is the date. Christmas Eve services Please, Lord, you know, uh, so pray for our construction folks, you know, for that to happen. As we know, thousands of people come on Christmas Eve. Sure be nice to actually have a place, you know, when it's cold for people to connect. But that's not what most of you ask me. Uh, most of you ask me, when is the indoor playground going to be done? Uh, and so that is going to be done by the end of January is what I've been told. And so just be praying along that. And again, used by the community, not just us. So we're trying to be a bridge to the community once again. This is why we're doing it. And so you can see kind of what that's going to look like in an indoor place, you know, uh, where moms and dads can bring your little ones, you know, to be able to connect with one another while they're having a good time connecting with each other as well. But all of those things, let's be honest, Take money, takes resources. 
And so many of you have been faithful on a regular basis to give. But this is just another reason why we want to encourage people to give on a regular basis for what it can go towards. Now, some of you gave to what we called Pave the Way. Pave the Way was specifically for the lobby and for the kids' area. And as we approach our year end, there are opportunities for many of you to give an above and beyond gift. And so that's an opportunity to continue to offset what this costs so that we can continue to use the resources to connect to our community. So with that being said, let me pray and then we'll jump into today's message. Lord, thank you so much for just how you're working and for the opportunities that you're giving us individually and you're giving us as a church to be able to encourage and to walk alongside and to reach our community for you. So Father, just allow us to be diligent in, in opportunities, and we just thank you for the gifts that have been given, and then may we just give them back to you as just, uh, just what you have provided. So thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So welcome to week four of our series called Plot Twist. Now, plot twists in life can be, because you know this, painful, difficult, and discouraging from time to time. Even when you're super young, you have this, this thing that goes on in life. You're, you're going all along in life, and you're little, and you're you know, an elementary kid, or you're four or five years old, and the day's great, and you're so happy, and things are wonderful, and then all of a sudden, it takes for a turn. It's almost as if life just kind of bites you. So go ahead and check out the screen with you now. One of the most famous YouTube clips of all time. It never gets old. You know, Charlie. So here he is. He's thinking he's having a great time. And all of a sudden it goes from this to, oh my gosh, this is painful. This is hard. And isn't that what happens in our lives? Right? You got things planned. You got things, you know, moving. You got things, you know, organized. You got things that are going on there really well. And then boom, things change. And it changes for what you appear, what appears to be the worst. And it's hard and it's painful and it's difficult. And so we've walked through the life of Joseph, and in his own words, he is frustrated by the plot twists that have taken, care, taken place in his life. In Genesis 40, verse 15, he says, For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Ever felt that way? I love how the Bible is so real when it comes to that. He did nothing wrong. Yeah, maybe he was an arrogant 17-year-old that shouldn't have bragged about some dreams that he had, but it didn't mean that he deserved to be sold off by his brothers into slavery. It didn't mean that he was going to be falsely accused and end up in prison. He did not deserve what was happening, and yet it happened in his life. Now, some of you have wondered and you've asked me, Dan, are we going to talk about if there's a good God, why is there pain and suffering in the world? We're not really going to hit that this week because we had a four-week series just this past April on the purpose of pain. 
If good God, why pain? So if you're going through pain or you have somebody in your life that wonders, hey, if you serve such a good God, then why is there pain and suffering? I would go back just to that four-week series to be able to gain some or relearn or to learn some information on that. What we want to focus on today is how do we respond when we have these negative plot twists in our life? How do we respond? Like, for example, how do you respond? What is your gut reaction when things don't go the way that you planned? Because I can tell you mine. I try to fix it or I try to control it. I dive, I double down, you know, in effort. I double down, down and be like, okay, this isn't going the way it was supposed to go according to Dan's will in terms of Dan's plan. And so I've got to obviously come in and ma- start making things happen again. You know, maybe for, for some of you, 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 you start crying, that there's an emotional response or you cry out and you say, why? Why is this happening to me? But why, God? Or, or maybe for some of you, you instantly get angry. You're instantly angry. You're instantly frustrated. And those who have even nothing to do with what's happened, you kind of have a tendency to take it out on them. Or as we talked about last week, maybe your, 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 your plan is to escape. It's to, to fall into temptation. It's to find some relief because you're suffering some pain. You want to actually give in to something that will give some temporary satisfaction. But there is another option. And Joseph, again, helps us to answer the question, how to respond when facing these hard plot twists in life. And we pick up up exactly where we left off this last week. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, threw him into prison, where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. If you were last week, this sounds very familiar. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Now, we talked about this last week, but it's worth repeating because the Bible seems to repeat it over and over and over again in the Old and New Testament, almost as if we need to hear this regularly. And that is, when life you know, throws these difficulties in life, you need to remember that God is still with you. That he hasn't left you. That he hasn't forsaken you. That he is still with you and he still loves you. See, he's with you in the highs, but he's also with you in the lows. It says that God was with Joseph. It doesn't say God was with Joseph on the mountaintop. It doesn't say God was with Joseph when he got a raise, even though he was. It doesn't say that God you know, was with Joseph when he got engaged or he had that first healthy child. It doesn't say any of that. It says God was with Joseph in prison. Now, many of us think that if we're following God, then life should be great, that it should just head in a certain direction. And that's not the point. In fact, we're gonna learn some things about why God allows some of these things to happen in our lives. But the whole point is that God is with us in the low times. And we've gotta remember that. You see, from God's perspective and from his faithfulness, going through difficulties in life can be very loving. It can actually be very kind. As long as he's with us, some of the best things can come out of this. This is why James can write in chapter 1, verse 2, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance doesn't mean it will happen, but has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, 
needing nothing. Uh, in some of my travels, uh, headed over to, to Russia, you know, or early on in Ukraine, you know, when I was in high school, one of the things that always stood out to me was the depth of their spiritual connection with God and other people. And I didn't have that same because they had gone through difficult times and they had allowed that to deepen their relationship with God. And they actually look back on the hard times and praise God for those hard times because of what it actually did in their faith with him. It's a whole different way to look at it. See, God shows us that he is with us through deep relationships as well, through deep relationships with others. I mean, how many times do we read all the, these, these phrases, one another in the Bible, encourage one another, pray for one another, serve for one another, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. There's this desire that God wants to use his people to be his representatives, representing who he is in the lives of one another. Do you have those people in your life? Are you that to someone else? You've heard me talk about the sequoia trees. Uh, Their strength is not in the depth of their root system. Their strength is in the intertwining of their roots with one another. So that when storms come, they stand tall, over 100 feet tall, because of the root system connected with each other in the same way when we go through difficulty and pain and suffering. Do you have those people that can be a reminder that God is with you and that he loves you? In fact, Corey Tenboom wrote this. There is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. With Jesus, even in our darkest moments, the best remains and the very best is yet to be. What a powerful reminder. So first, God is with you and he loves you. Secondly, how do we navigate some of these painful times in our lives? Continue to trust God in and through life's hardest seasons. That's one of the greatest lessons that we learned from Joseph and everything he went through. He continued to trust God. Let's take a look at this. He's overseeing the, 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 the entire prison. And he has these two guys that come to him. Uh, one happens to be the cupbearer for Pharaoh. The other one happens to be the baker. And they both have these strange dreams that no one can interpret. And so they come to Joseph and they reply, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what it means. Interpreting dreams, notice how he responds, is God's business. So he's still trusting and connecting to God. Even though he's in prison, he's still saying, this is what God's about. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the cupbearer starts and he says, my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand. So I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So Joseph interprets it and says, hey, what that dream means is in three days time, Pharaoh's going to have a party and you're going to be restored back to your position of prominence. You're going to be actually able to serve, you know, uh, Pharaoh once again. And then he tells him, he says, hey, and when that happens, don't forget about me. Don't forget that I'm here. And then, then verse 16 comes into play. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, so you know he's thinking, well, man, that sounds awesome. Let me now give him my dream. I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. So Joseph's like, all right, this is what the dream means. Joseph told him, the three baskets also represent three days, 
Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then the birds will come and peck away at your flesh. <laughs> Way to soften the blow, Joseph. Way to, you know, you're just like, can you imagine the next three days being that guy? You know, you're just like, what in the world? I bet every day you start thinking, I should have gone first. I should have gone first. You know, it was such a positive interpretation. And then it happens exactly how Joseph, don't tell me the Bible's not real. You know, this is, this is real stuff. You're like, peck at your flesh? Really? You had to include that? You know, just gross. You know, and so it happens. And so the, the, the cupbearer actually gets put back in his position, but verse 23 says, he forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Two years go by. I don't know about you, but when I am in a difficult circumstance or a plot twist that I'm not happy about, I don't like a few hours, let alone days or weeks to go by. Years, two years go by and he's still in the same situation. And then we hit chapter 41 and Pharaoh has a dream. And in his dream, he sees these seven healthy, fat cows that come out of the Nile River, followed by seven very sickly, skinny cows who come out of the Nile and eat the healthy ones. And then he wakes up. He's like, whoa, that was weird. Then he goes back to sleep and he has another dream. He sees these seven heads of grain that are just beautiful, followed by seven very sickly, withered, you know, a grain that then take over and eat the seven healthy ones. And he wakes up again. So he calls his magicians. He calls all of his wise men together. He tells them this dream and none of them can interpret. And then we read this in verse nine. Finally, isn't that sometimes how we feel? Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I had been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh, and he tells about this guy named Joseph. So Pharaoh calls Joseph. Joseph comes before Pharaoh, and he says, I hear you can interpret dreams, to which Joseph responds, nope, it is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. See, what we see, again, after years of not happy things happening in his life, he still chooses to trust God. He's still saying it's about him. It's about him. How does he do this? Some things that we learn about Joseph that I think maybe we need to be reminded, I know I did, is to remember that bad things are going to happen even to godly people. To remember that. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Or 1 Peter chapter 4, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Yes, Lord. <laughs> don't, don't be surprised. Instead, that was awesome. Be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And so you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the world. And out of Jesus' own mouth, he says, here on earth, you will have many trials, you will have many sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Secondly, what helps us to have strength and perspective to continue to trust God in these circumstances is to remember that you and I are not the main characters. God's the main character. We like to think that the world revolves around us, and it doesn't. It revolves around him, but we get to be part of the journey. We get to be a major part of the story. 
We're God's chosen people. We're a kingdom of priests. We're the children of God. But God is the main character. And you see this time and time and time again in Joseph's story, both what we've covered and what we're going to get to. is to continue to remember, it's about him. And is there something that God wants to do through me in the lives of other people, even as I am going through suffering and pain? Lastly, we could choose to trust God in the circumstance most powerfully by remembering what God has already done. See, some of the greatest strengths that we can have is in the moment of our greatest weakness and difficulty and trial and suffering that we have a hard time seeing the next day, let alone today, is to look back. And when you look back, you gain strength by looking back to face what you and I are facing today. In fact, there is a psalm that I don't remember if I've ever read in my life. I mean, I probably have had this sometime, but it just hit with this idea of looking back because I think that this relates to a lot of what you either have gone through, are going through, or will go through. In Psalm 77, it says this, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan overwhelmed with the longing for his help. Been there? You're crying out to God and God's not answering. Is he silent? Is he really real? That's what the psalmist is being honest about. And then he says in verse seven, has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? And then he questions, In his unfailing love, is it gone forever? Is his unfailing love gone? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The most high has turned his hand against me. God, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Are your promises not real? Are the things that you said in your word not gonna happen in my life? That's what he's saying. But the psalm doesn't end in verse 10. It keeps going in verse 11. But then I recall all that you have done. He looks back, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and... Joseph, the story that we're in right now. And the psalm continues and starts listing all the different things that God has done that will give strength to what this person is facing in the present so they can move forward with confidence in the future. That's powerful when we face difficult circumstances. And so as we go back to the story of Joseph, I want to remind you in Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We can look back to see what he has done to give us strength we're facing today. So here's Joseph before Pharaoh, and he tells Pharaoh the interpretation of these two dreams. Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy grains represent seven years of prosperity. Then seven thin, the th- seven thin scrawny cows that come up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. So then Joseph says, God has revealed this to you. So what would be wise is for you to store in plenty these next seven years to get you through as a nation what these, the following seven years are going to do. 
And, 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 and Pharaoh's just blown away. And so he looks at Joseph and says, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand, placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he gave Joseph a ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. The third thing that can help us to respond in life that I've been waiting to get to you, that I hope transforms your life today, both now or in the future, is the story isn't finished. When you and I face difficulties, when we face suffering, whether it be a short time or a long time, the story isn't done yet. And we find ourselves in these moments and we think this is all there is, but let Joseph be a reminder that the story's not done. He was despised by his brothers, but the story wasn't finished. He was sold into slavery, but the story wasn't finished. He was accused wrongly and thrown into prison, but the story isn't finished. He was, he's now in second in command of all Egypt and the story is still not done. And we're gonna get through that in the next couple weeks together. Now, from Joseph's perspective, notice it, Pharaoh put Joseph, gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zephenath Paneah. That name literally means God speaks and God lives. So every time Joseph is introduced to the Egyptian people, he's introduced as, here comes God speaks and God lives. The story is about God, and God is using Joseph even in this situation, to represent him. Then it says he was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, which tells us it's been 13 years since Joseph started in 17 being sold into slavery to now he's second in command of all of Egypt. And that short time frame, he has gone through a lot of difficulty. And then we read this during this time. Before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Well, not everybody. We're going to get to that next week. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. So what he went through was real, but the story wasn't finished. And we need to hold on to that more than anything else. I just want you to resonate with that. That needs to be something you need to remember or you need to remember for somebody else in your life right now that the story isn't over. In fact, probably the two greatest words that we gloss over in the Bible, and I wish I had a whole time just to preach on this. When you feel like it's over, I need you to remember these two words. But God. But God. How many times did we already read in Joseph's life when he was in prison, but God was with him? When the Pharaoh said, interpret this dream, I can't, but God can. Every time we go through something on a regular basis, when you and I have the temptation to cry out and pray, why God? Maybe our prayers should change to say, but God. And all of a sudden, things would begin to change on a regular basis. In fact, if you look at the end of the story, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, in chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph is telling his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. 
He brought me into this position so I could save the lives of many people. See, when you're feeling like there's no hope, that you're at your end, that you're exhausted and you want to pray, why God say, no, I'm gonna pray, but God is still in this. The story isn't over. I'm going through a situation. I'm going through a marriage issue. I'm going through a finance issue. I'm going through a disease issue. And even if that issue ends in death, the story's not over. See, when the disciples witness Jesus on the cross and they're thinking about, oh my goodness, but God, it's Friday, but you know Sunday's coming. Because on Sunday, but God rose Jesus from the dead. And we can hold on to that, that in any situation that you and I are facing, we can say, you know what? This is hard, this is painful, this is difficult, let's cry out, but God is still with us. God is still working, but God wants to do something through you. The story isn't finished. And so what is your next step? What truth do you need to hold on to? Today for yourself or for someone else? Maybe the thing you need to hold on to is when you're going through a difficult time that God is still with you and that God loves you. And maybe for you, you came here because you were invited by a friend. And you were just reminded of that or told that for the first time, but you've never received that, never held on to that in your own life. Could today be the day that you say, yeah, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. Maybe for you, it's number two. Choose to trust God in your current circumstance. That you're going to be like, nope, I know where my mind goes. I know what I want to do, but I'm going to choose like Joseph did to trust God while I'm in prison, while I'm bound in slavery, while I'm going through whatever I'm going through. I'm going to make a choice to trust him just like Joseph did. Or maybe it's number three, that you need to hold on to the truth that God's story isn't finished. It's not finished in you, and it's not finished through you. In fact, with that being said, this this following story I'm going to tell you has been told as far back as I can tell to 1955 when Billy Graham told a, a variation of this. There's a painting that once hung in the Louvre, France called Checkmate. Two men are standing in front of this painting, and they're looking at it. In this painting, a man is playing chess with the devil. The devil is grinning ear to ear because he has the man cornered. The title of the painting, Checkmate, indicates that the game is over. The devil has won. His opponent has no more moves. Well, these two men come across this painting and one wants to move on and and the other one says, no, 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 I just want to hang around just a little bit longer because that second man just so happens to be an international chess champion. And he's captivated by the painting, and he's just drawn in. And so he sits before this and looks minute after minute, and then all of a sudden it dawns on him, it's wrong. It's wrong. And he runs and grabs his friend. His friend's like, what's going on? He brings him before the painting again. He goes, hey, as you know, I'm an international chess champion. And as you see before you, the title of this is Checkmate. And he goes, we need to contact whoever painted this. We need to change the title because that's wrong. He's like, what are you talking about? He goes, look closely. The king has one more move. And I need to remind you on this day that when you feel like you're at the end, when you feel like the enemy has checkmated you, whether you feel like somebody else has done something or you've done something to yourself and you've run against a wall, you've run against the end, you need to be reminded that the king always has one more move and his name is Jesus. He always has one more move. I don't know if you're fighting depression or discouragement, your relationship, anxiety, disease, financial loss, relational loss, but remember the king has one more move. This is not the end of your story. 
And it's definitely not the end of his story in and through you. Satan thought he had won when Jesus breathed his last. The disciples thought it was over, and yet the king had one more move. The king always has one more move. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that it's in you that we have one more move. Father, I know that people in this room and in their lives and the people around them can feel like there's no hope. And yet there always is hope, especially in the midst of and through the difficulties, the pain, and the challenges that life brings. Thank you for Joseph that reminds us of that hope. Thank you that the hope that we have in you is always there regardless of the outcome, even if the outcome ends in death, that there is hope because of what you've done. The story is not over. We thank you for this, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.